Kill Aquaman, murder his family, and burn his kingdom to ash. I will avenge my father, even if I have to make a deal with the devil. I'm coming for you. We'll pick a fight. Fine. Flex your muscles. He must be stopped. If you lead, the Seven Kingdoms will follow. Sometimes not giving up is the most heroic thing you can do. After failing to defeat Aquaman the first time, Black Manta wields the power of the mythic Black Trident to unleash an ancient and malevolent force. Hoping to end his reign of terror, Aquaman forges an unlikely alliance with his brother Orm, the former king of Atlantis. Setting aside their differences, they join forces to protect their kingdom and save the world from irreversible destruction. Welcome folks to the Logical Podcast. My name is River, the founder of this podcast, normally joined with one other, sometimes two others. Um, today is, uh, on my, I'm on my own today. And uh, um, <clears throat> you probably find that actually most of the episodes, it's usually on my own. Um, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> this is something that I've always wanted to do uh, for a while and eventually came came across uh, the realization or the inspiration to finally start a podcast which is coming up to just over two years so um a thank you and a uh, salute to all those who have followed the podcast from the beginning continue to show their support thank you dearly i really appreciate it and if you're a new listener to the podcast uh, welcome and i hope you enjoy listening to my review and recap the same way that I love to watch movies and enjoy movies. Now, reviewing this movie. I want to try and sound as positive as I can, but um, unfortunately, just to preface this, I don't want to discourage anybody from from uh, listening <laughs> to this review because I think you you'll or well, hopefully by the end of it you'll learn something uh, valuable and the way cinema is and the way um, good movies should be shot and the way they should be written, how certain characters should be um, expressed on screen. Uh, but however this movie is is it's it's gonna be hard to give it a positive review. Um that's my diplomatic statement just to start off right off the bat. Um and I also want to say in this preface that the first Aquaman movie that came out in 2018, I, I initially enjoyed that, and I think it's because I enjoyed um the direction that James Wan was taking it. I wasn't the biggest fan of the direction, but I could understand, like, I said understand and see at the same time, understand. <laughs> um, I could understand where James Wan wanted to take the vision of Aquaman from uh, the reigns of uh, Zack Snyder, and I much more prefer what Zack Snyder did was with uh, Aquaman and the world of Atlantis that he built in the Justice League. Um, the original Zack Snyder cut Oh, Justice League, I should say. And um, I was hoping that James Wan was going to take that vision and just expand upon it. But instead, he really changed that. He really changed the feeling, um, the tone, the visuals, and uh, he really, really just changed the world. And I was I was actually on board with it with the first Aquaman movie. <clears throat> 
And I recently saw the first Aquaman movie just to prepare myself for the sequel. Um, and after watching the first one, I didn't realize how bad the script was. <laughs> I don't think it's as bad as this one, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. But the first one actually has a pretty bad script. Um, like, a lot of the stuff they were saying was just way too over-the-top cheesy, corny, and quite illogical half the time, considering the context that those characters were in. This one, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, takes it so much further and so much beyond ridiculousness and silliness that they basically, they basically said, hey, look, we don't care anymore. Um, there's no more DCEU, even though that's like the unofficial title for this whole universe that Zack Snyder built. Um, we don't care anymore. And this is going off to James Gunn and Peter Safran, who are taking on the new DC films. Um, and as a result of us not caring, here is a pile of shit. <laughs> so, <clears throat> this movie, directed by James Wan, written by Simon Farnaby, Paul King, and... Sorry, that's not the right writers. <laughs> I just realized that is the writers of uh, Wonka. Let's start again. It's uh, directed by James Wan and written by David Leslie Johnson Mick Goldrick, James Wan himself, and it was also partially written. Actually, I don't know if it's partially written. I shouldn't say that. Don't take my word for it. But Jason Momoa has a writing credit in this, which might explain... <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> the movie stars Jason Momoa, Patrick Wilson, Yah, 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 I, I want to say it's Yah, Yah, Abdul Mateen II, Amber Heard, <coughs> we didn't really mention Amber Heard, Amber Heard, <coughs> Nicole Kidman, Randall Park, Tim Werner Morrison, Dolph Lundgren, and many others. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom runs for a total of two hours and four minutes. Although it did feel like four hours and four minutes. The budget that they had for this film was $205 million, Which is crazy to me because I have no idea where they used the $205 million. Now I am exaggerating a bit on what I'm saying there and my opinion on that. But everything just looked so messy, unfinished. And not a care in the world. Um, the box office intake as of January 2nd of this recording, January 2nd, is $255 million. Now, yeah, we're, we're only like two to three weeks post its release. Um, it actually came out on the 22nd of December in the United States or North America. And for the rest of the world, like myself, us over here in Australia... It came out on Boxing Day, 26th of December. So it's roughly been around for about two weeks or thereabouts. And it's only made $255.4 million at the box office. Now, to give you some context, the first Aquaman that came out in 2018, it had a total of over a billion dollars at the box office. Now, we're not even near to its run at the theater, but this is this is not looking good. This is going to take them a lot of time to get to one point or just over one billion, and I don't see that happening. The track record for this film right now is that it's decreasing in ticket sales. Um, the online consensus for um, ratings and reviews for this film is very low for the audience, but relatively high for the, uh, um, yeah, relatively high for the critics, uh, which is kind of insane to me. Um, actually, you know what? I think I actually might have got that wrong. Let me double check. Um, so... <laughs> Quickly here, Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom on Rotten Tomatoes currently is 
from the critics and 81% from the audience. So initially I wrote 36%, so it went up by 1% by the when I drafted this, which was about last week. And it went up a couple of percents, a couple of numbers, <laughs> a couple of percentages up, <clears throat> excuse me, from the initial uh, draft that I did for this, which was 79%, and now it's sitting at 81 <clears throat> So... Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with the critics. Um, I'll probably even go lower than 35, maybe even 30%, because this movie is quite bad. And um, the critics are currently saying, this is the consensus, is that Jason Momoa remains a capable and committed leading man, but even DC diehards may, fight, may feel the Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom sticks to familiar waters. Um, I don't know if that's a good reflection on... 36%, 35%. Um, but just this first line, first couple of lines here, Jason Momoa remains a capable and committed leading man. I really don't think he's a committed man as far as his performance in this movie goes. His, he really phoned it in, and it was quite hard and jarring to kind of see him play the character that way because this guy was a guy that he loved the character. He loved the fact that he was... Um, that he was going to play this role that Zack Snyder had explained to him and how he envisions the Aquaman and the world of Aquaman to be. And he was the sole reason why Jason Momoa decided to say yes to the role because of what Zack Snyder was explaining to him and describing to him. It's dark, it's gritty. Um, he's going to be this brooding, burly, manly dude with tattoos and <laughs> like I can imagine Zack Snyder's conversation with him was was convincing him that this is going to be a cool version of Aquaman. This is not going to be the typical Aquaman with like long blonde hair and blue eyes and and a bit of a pretty boy. Not that that's a bad thing. I think you can actually make a cool version out of that. And I think Patrick Wilson Wilson could actually play the traditional version of that so long as there's a good writer and a good director behind it. Um, but I, I'd imagine that's what Zack Snyder was trying to describe to Jason Momoa, hence why he said yes to it, and slowly you started to see this dilapidate over the years, especially with all these controversies, all these controversies coming through the pipeline. It was just, it's, it's a shame that this film turned out the way it was because it was a, it's the result of mismanagement poor management from the studio, um, controversies around um, legal battles with Amber Heard, uh, the DCEU coming to a finish, or like, like an abrupt finish, I should say. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like it was surprising in terms of time, but it came to an abrupt finish in terms of actors just not getting their contracts back. Actors um, essentially getting fired. Fired is pretty strong word because it, it like fired is probably not the right word for this because everyone was just not given the contract extensions that they're expecting to for dc films um so all of that and and this movie being filmed about two years ago and trying to come back for reshoots and rewrite the scripts because of the whole amber heard controversy it it just the result is unfortunately a really really bad film now, I want to get into my first impressions of this. Um, if what I've already explained is not my first impression, I mean, you kind of get the idea about like what I'm going to say about this film. But um, look, as much as I wanted to enjoy this, I, I heard how bad it had been. Um, I saw this quite a few days later after a release. Um, this is another indication of... Um, comic book films and DC films in general just not having the best run at the moment because they're going through just uh, they're just going through an awful run bad writing bad directing no sense of co co coherent uh, vision um, so I'd, I'd heard about like some <laughs> negative reviews when this uh, when this movie came out so I wasn't really excited to go see it straight away nonetheless I did and um, I, throughout the movie, uh, like I was just so self-aware of 
how silly this movie is. Um, the dialogue is much, much worse than the first one. It makes the first one sound like Shakespeare. Um, and this second one is just absolutely silly dialogue. Um, you can really see those uh, controversies around Amber Heard coming into <laughs> into existence. Like it's it sort of shoots out of the screen. Um, there's there's times where Arthur Curry, you know, played by Jason Moore, where he's talking about how he doesn't he doesn't uh, or he had a baby with his with his dream princess or whatever, you know, Mira. That's the character that Amber Heard plays, and um now that we have a baby you know we're sitting down i've become father and you know my 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 values have changed blah blah blah. but then now i don't know where she is it was, it was such a random throwaway line that he said right at the end of it and i was kind of like wait wait a minute he he said i don't know where she is now like well, why why don't you know where she is now <laughs> like we know or i know as as an audience member what like the reasons behind why he's saying that as a character but um, the characters shouldn't know that, and if the character, obviously, if the character's saying that, then you have to have an explanation as well, like where she has gone. And when the movie starts off like that, I was thinking, "Holy shit, are they just gonna throw her character away just by dialogue, <laughs> like off-screen exit kind of thing?" Um, and um, and then I think it's like the next scene or a couple of scenes later, she shows up. I'm kind of like, "What? You just said that you didn't know where she was." <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like sh silly choices like that that made this movie really really horrible um the visual effects are pretty bad like there is awful um rotoscoping i like and i don't want to blame the visual effects artists because movies are complex and it's hard to know who's it's hard to know who to blame sometimes it's visual effects sometimes it's time sometimes it's money sometimes there's a bit of both it could be the director it could be the director like could be the studio. And I think in this case, it's probably the studio <laughs> to blame. And yeah, the visual effects just look terrible. Um, it just kind of gives a bad rep for um, visual effects artists worldwide. So I, I really feel sorry for the for the effects. Um, and I just feel sorry for the rest of the, the cast and crew for this because I'm sure like a lot of the cast and crew were wanting to put their best foot forward for such a potentially amazing franchise. But they just kind of shat the bed, really. Um, all the performances weren't great. They were so weak. Tim Burton Morrison playing the father, like he was, like he didn't really add much value other than being like this caring uh, granddad. But he didn't actually do anything to to like contribute to the script. If he wasn't in the film, the movie wouldn't have changed. Um, Jason Momoa playing. Aquaman, Arthur Curry, he really just phoned it in. He was just behaving like himself. He was goofy. I'm not saying that he's goofy in real life, but I mean he he's a he's a charming kind of a like he's a charming, playful, goofy kind of guy. <laughs> like in real life, at, at least that's what he um how he uh, displays will chooses to display himself on uh, social media. You know, he's always laughing. He's always telling jokes. Um, he seems like he's got you know, he, he knows what he's doing or whatever. But um, that all seeped into this character and I couldn't actually see Arthur Curry anymore. The Arthur Curry that you meet in Zack Snyder's Justice League and a little bit in the first Aquaman movie is Arthur Curry. I, I didn't really see Jason Momoa. But Arthur Curry in this is just Jason Momoa. Literally. Nothing else. <laughs> and he's like screaming all the time. Like he's, he delivers like terrible lines like, one of the lines that he that was really terrible and it was so cringe it was so hard to watch was at the very end when he when he yells get away from my son or something like that it was so bad the way he said it, it was it was awful it was i cringed so much i was like no way it was almost along the same line uh, same lines as uh when anakin says no in revenge of the sith uh episode three but i would say that 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 line that Anakin delivers is just better <laughs> than what Jason Momoa does at the end of this. Um, Amber Heard, like, she didn't even need to be in the movie because she pretty much has zero impact in the film, which I think is what the intention is for the studio because of the controversy between 
you know, the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp case. But, um, she, like, it's weird because she has to be in the film because the film wouldn't really work without her. It's all predicated on getting the blood of the DNA, or sorry, getting the DNA from the blood from the son that her and Jason Momoa have. So the story is kind of revolved around that, but it almost feels like it was, there's a point in the middle of the film or maybe just over the midpoint where it feels like the director was like, okay, I got a better idea. I want, I, I, I now want the villain to get the blood from the sun instead of getting the blood from Arthur Curry. And the problem is, is that there's no, there's no reason why he couldn't have got it from Arthur Curry. Like, they just he just arbitrarily decides that I'm going to get it from the from the sun. <laughs> so it's like a shoot in or like a shoehorned uh, subplot that becomes the main plot, but didn't really need to do that. But at the same time, he like he's thinking about how can you include Amber Heard while also not including Amber Heard. It's just so it's so awkward and so frustrating and unnecessary. And it just didn't make for a great time. Now, like, as far as the enjoyment goes, there's action sequences. Like, usually with films that have bad scripts, bad directing, bad storytelling, usually there's some aspects that you can enjoy about a film, especially if it's an action film, right? However, with this, there is not even enjoyable action sequences because the choreography is just bad. Um, the choreography, like in, uh, in Justice League and all that kind of stuff, like, I'm not even going to say that the choreography in, uh, Zach, even Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League, which is the prime version, by the way, is, uh, like, it's, it's not amazing, but it's good. It's good enough to, to sell the story that Zack's trying to tell. Um, and, but, but like, the way Aquaman fights in, in those films, like, it's, like, it's okay. It's very kind of, like... Dude, where's my car? Type fighting, <laughs> but um, and it's it's believable for the most part, right? It's believable. Um, this one, it's like the act, <laughs> the, the choreography. It's so like there's just there's no sense of like clarity or realism in any other fight sequences. Everything felt choreographed. It looked choreographed. Maybe it's a problem with blocking i think um you know blocking where the director's gonna shoot or the kind of angles that the director wants um yeah it's just the whole thing is just a pile of mess and usually there's some like i said there's some aspects that you can enjoy but there's literally nothing to enjoy <laughs> i mean you can kind of enjoy the uh like this is this is this was my takeaway right you can kind of enjoy the the story stupid silliness of the film and um it's uh it's just unfortunate it's very very unfortunate and uh that's i guess that's all i really want to say in this part of the episode is my first impressions but um i want to dive in a, a bit deeper i want to analyze the shit out of this because maybe uh maybe you could find something that's actually quite positive to talk about and the way we're going to do this is we're going to go through the recap and get into the plot. Okay, so... Where do we begin? Right at the beginning of the story. Several years after becoming King of Atlantis, Arthur Curry has married Mira and had a son, Arthur Jr. Very creative with, um, yep, with uh, naming their child. <laughs> While splitting his life between land and sea, meanwhile, David Kane continues to seek revenge that is um, our antagonist, 
Mr. Black Manta, David Kane, continues to seek revenge against Arthur for his father's death, working with marine biologist Stephen Shin to find Atlantean artifacts. He finds a black trident that possesses him, its creator promising to give him the power to destroy Arthur. Five months later, David attacks Atlantis and breaks into Orichalcum. Orichalcum. This is, by the way, this is a horrible name for some piece of oil um, that is buried in the vaults of like Atlantean artifacts or whatever it is. Orichalcum. <laughs> Atlantean cum. I don't know why I said that. Terrible. <laughs> David attacks Atlantis and breaks into its Orichalcum reserves to power Shin's Atlantean machines. Hmm. Oh, this is terrible. Ah, oh, okay. Arthur leans. Uh, sorry, Arthur learns that this usage of Orichalcum, which emits high quantities of greenhouse gases, has not only raised planetary temperatures and caused extreme weather and ocean acidification, but nearly caused a planetary extinction when used by an ancient Atlantean kingdom. Now, um, I just want to go back to the beginning of this, where um, we, we get this really fast-ish montage back and forth um basically to catch the viewer up to what arthur has been through um whereas arthur now and um it's all really kind of edited super weirdly kind of like a music video and um it's it's obviously done in a way that it's trying to just really get you up to grips with um where aquaman is and what aquaman is going to do in this film and this montage thing doesn't really do anything other than just uh tell us that he's at his child um and i swear the montage is probably i don't know four minutes or something it's way longer than it needs to be when all that you learn from it all that you take away from it is that he's had a child with mirror and he doesn't know where mirror is but then mirror all of a sudden just shows up and he doesn't even acknowledge that mirror is around even though he just said that he doesn't know where she's gone he like he like what I said before earlier in this podcast, like he said, uh, I had a baby with my with my princess Mira, but now I don't know where she's gone. That's <laughs> kind of like what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> when we meet uh, David, David, yeah, when we meet David Kane, played by Maha. Uh, oh, how do you pronounce his name? Yaha Abdul Mateen the um, second, plays Black Manta. Um. <laughs> he's he's got the same kind of feeling that uh well at least the the impression that i got was that he was playing this really kind of corny villain that was almost um trying to be a serious version of dr evil or something like that it's like the lines he was delivering was so weak and i didn't believe it and i i truly think that this guy has talent um because you can kind of see it in some of his performances even when he plays Morpheus in um, Matrix Revolution, whatever it's called. No, not Revolution. It's called uh, Matrix uh, Redundant. I don't know, the fourth one. <laughs> I reviewed that on this podcast too. You can check that out. It's a terrible, terrible movie. Um, even when he played Morpheus in that, like he wasn't great. He just, he actually literally looked like or felt like a ripoff of the real Morpheus, like a discount version of him. Um, but you can see he's got some talent, and we're just yet to see it. You know, I want to give him a chance. I want to, I want to see him be a part of other projects and just give him a good opportunity to flex his acting skills. Um, and here's kind of the worst example of it. It's like the, the him portraying himself as the villain. Like he, he's not very threatening. He doesn't really have... Um, he doesn't really have this kind of villain uh, title that he should earn. It's like he didn't really earn it. Um, and yeah, just not really believable. Um, 
As the movie tries to unfold and tell us what the story is, it actually takes a very long time for us to know what the real story is. Because even though, as I've uh, said in this in this plot piece, like he's he's out there to get the black trident, um, and he's been possessed by the spirit of the black trident, the spirit of the black trident. But it's it's kind of like an ancient king or something who who has these spiritual kind of kooky witch powers or whatever. Which, by the way. Is another thing they just throw into this like super complex world of Atlantis is that they decide to throw in something that just was never explored in the previous film, never explored in the world that Zack Snyder built. Nothing. And that is witchcraft or magic. They decided to throw that in here. They were just kind of like, oh yeah, and like he can possess things because now he's got magic <laughs> they literally say magic it doesn't actually make any sense so like <laughs> wait all of a sudden they just have magic powers or something okay um i mean i, I guess like the whole kind of atlantis thing i guess they cut like that it's kind of magic powers if you want to see it that way you know they can breathe underwater and they can speed fast underwater or whatever and there isn't a real explanation as to like how they even gain those powers like um the way zack snyder describes it is like um they were once like battling on the surface level but then decided to like i can't even remember what he says like they basically just sink into the ocean and there is a bit of an explanation in this film and how like what atlantis used to be on the on the surface level and then eventually getting down but they don't explain how they would breathe they kind of just like have pseudoscience a little bit uh, around it and you kind of just accept it and i'm okay with that but then to throw in like witchcraft and magic it's kind of like a whole set of other story aspects that you have to kind of cover right anyway they use that <laughs> as as a, a tidbit to tell well to i guess for him to be possessed um by the black trident so even up until this point let's say we're about 20 to 30 minutes in the film we don't we still don't really know what the film objective is and usually you know the film objective up until like by this time of the film um they don't really give us that until i would say even beyond the midpoint of this film which is like he he wants to um like we know like let me rephrase this the villain knows what he wants he wants to take down arthur right um and that's his main objective but then when they throw in the um the witch magic atlantean king or what used to be king or wannabe king or whatever in the mix it's like he's supposed to be kind of like a secondary villain that at some and and sometimes the film feels like it's trying to be a main villain it's hard to know there's not not a lot of articulation clarity around that it's like on one hand you have black matter and the other hand you have sauron literally looks like sauron but in the ocean and actually if you, if you think about it or if i think about it um <laughs> the whole story that they're trying to tell here is practically like the lord of the Rings story and in fact there's, there's kind of like a lot of different stories amalgamated all into this one mess known as aquaman and the lost kingdom um continuing on the two beat with the crime lord kingfish um who provides information leading to a volcanic island in the south pacific while on the island arthur and orm stumble across the black trident which orm learns was created by cordax the brother of the king atlan atlan and ruler of the lost kingdom of necris <laughs> who was imprisoned with blood magic following a failed attempt to usurp the throne Okay, so, like, we, I still think, you know, in a, in a movie, like a sequel follow-up to the first film, I still think that is your opportunity to tell um, a story more about Atlantis, because even in the first film, like, like the first film was really about the battle between land and sea, <laughs> and we didn't learn a lot about Atlantis. I feel like in a sequel to that movie you should give us more about atlantis but instead 
they wanted us to focus on another part of the underworld known as Necris that was ruled by a guy called Kordax, a.k.a. Sauron of the Sea, um, and who was the brother of King Atlan. Um, and he was imprisoned with blood magic. <laughs> so there's already there's like more and more complexity being added to a lore that we don't even know much about. And, and it's just kind of dawning on me like how convoluted this film is because it's trying to cram in extra stuff without explaining all the other things that we should learn about. Learn more about the Atlanteans, learn more about their culture, learn more about um, interesting characters. Like there's all these cool visual characters in Atlantis and we don't know anything about them. The only thing that, as far as characters go, we only focus on Arthur Curry, rightfully so. Obviously it's his film. Um, we focus on Orm and uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, Tim Weta Morrison, you know, the kind of main cast, but you're trying to create a franchise at this point, right? This is this is like before knowing that they were going to be, um, they were going to disband the DCEU. Uh, you kind of build towards, you know, discovering more and more um, characters and more more of the culture that exists within Atlantis. I don't know. I mean, whatever. <laughs> uh, the Atlanteans with a... Oh no, sorry. I'm just going to go back here a bit. Realizing the blood of any of Atlan's descendants could release Cordex, the two make their way to Amnesty Bay, where they learn David has kidnapped Arthur Jr. And this is when the main plot comes in, is that they kidnap Arthur Jr. because they realize that they can get the blood from Arthur Jr. because they need the blood to shed on the like the stone thing in order for the blood to to go into the veins or something I don't know of the of Necris and then bring back Cordax that's kind of the whole point because they need they need the blood of the kingship of the blood the blood of the the, the royal bloodline the royal bloodline <laughs> the DNA of the royal bloodline um, to release Cordax from his uh, his prison um, so it's like blood magic whatever um, and, and this is, I'm pretty sure this is like way beyond the halfway point where like, okay, so now this is like the main objective for the film. Um, the objective of uh, Black Mantis is still there, but we're going to shift the focus a little bit to Necris and and Sauron, whatever, something like that. Um, the Atlanteans with a re reluctant Shin's help, with a reluctant Shin's help, which is the David, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Randall Park, <laughs> which, by the way, he's 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 usually quite good. Like I like him in um, the Wonder Vision series. Like I think he's quite kind of cool there. He's kind of cool in Ant Man. He's a little bit useless in this. Kind of has to be there to explain, well, to to not explain, but um, to be the person that I guess explains. <laughs> explains how like the science works and like you need a scientist to be able to pull this off otherwise he's kind of useless to be honest <laughs> doesn't doesn't really do much he's a little bit annoying um you didn't really need to have a character to, to do the part that he did the, the part that he does is basically just say like to discover show that he's got some research or whatever um and this is where you're going but he doesn't really like stare any real direction from a scientist perspective he pretty much just says Oh, I've, I'm a researcher. I'm a scientist. Um, I've always wanted to. I'm a fan of Atlantis, and I've always wanted to discover and explore Atlantis. And blah, blah. he's just like a fanboy that's there. He doesn't need to be in the film. Another character that's just wasted. That doesn't have a real good objective to the film. Ah, uh, okay. We're almost there, guys. <laughs> uh, where were we? Okay. So, the Atlanteans, with the, yeah, with the reluctant Shin's help, determined that Necris's prison is located in Antarctica. Of course, it's located in Antarctica. Why is it located in Antarctica? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of cool that it is in Antarctica because, like, we've never been to like the icy waters of uh, the underworld. 
Um, so that's kind of cool, I guess. Um, there, and there could have been like some awesome visual opportunities, but oh man, the visual effects are just so bad in this film that icy world, uh, the icy underworld wasn't going to really save it. Hmm. Um, in Necris, Arthur fights David to stop him from injuring Arthur Jr. Though Arthur is almost killed before Mira arrives and saves her husband. David throws the black trident at Mira as she was taking her son to safety, but Orm catches it before he strikes her. The spirit trident at Mira... Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's not right. The spirit of Kordax leaves David for Orm, who proceeds to fight Arthur and uses his blood to reverse Atlan's magic, freeing Kordax. Arthur convinces Orm to give up his hatred for him, allowing Arthur to destroy both Cordex and the Black Trident. Okay, wait. I'm just going to pause for a little bit because this kind of, this reminded me of some more frustrations throughout the film. Uh, in this particular scene where they're going underground, underground, underwater, um, in, in Antarctica, and um, I'm... <laughs> I'm wondering, how deep are they going into this? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of led to believe that they have to go pretty damn deep, right? To discover like a whole freaking kingdom down there. Literally Minas Tirith like um, in the underworld of Antarctica. That's literally what what it looks like. And so you would assume that it's very deep, right? And if my assumption is correct, how the hell are they not being crushed by the pressure? That's one thing. And then the second thing is when they are in Necris, because Necris is kind of like in this uh, coldest, not a coldest site, but it's kind of like in a, I don't know how you describe it, like a cove or something, you know, like you go under, you go under and then you come back up and, and it's just, it's not water, it's like you're on land, but it's underwater, you understand what I mean. Um, and you know what I mean by this, even if you haven't seen the movie, because you're not going to watch the movie, you're just going to listen to me riff on this film and give you good reasons why I should riff. <laughs> You're not going to see it because it's a terrible film. So, <clears throat> so like they're in that part, and I'm sort of thinking, wait, how is Randall Park able to, I don't know, breathe? Like he's so deep in the ocean, assumingly, right? So deep in the ocean, how is he able to breathe in this whole thing? And then on top of that, it must be freezing, and he's just wearing like a winter jacket. <laughs> it's like none of there's like no thought put to any of this. It's sad. <clears throat> very, very sad. Arthur convinces Orm to give up his hatred for him, allowing Arthur to destroy both Kordax and the Black Trident. With Kordax's magic, magic vanishing, um, Necris starts to collapse. David refuses Arthur's help and allows himself to fall into a fissure, a fissure to his death. <laughs> the Atlanteans and Shin escape to safety, and Arthur and Mira decide to let Orm go and tell the rest of the Atlantis of Atlantis that he died on the condition he remains hidden. Believing the unification of the underwater kingdoms and the surface world is necessary, Arthur reveals Atlantis's existence during an announcement at the United Nations and declares his intentions of making the kingdom a member state. And that is the end of the plot. And if it sounds short, that plot, yes, it is very short, the plot. And this movie is freaking two hours long. This movie, the story, the plot that I just said could have been done in 45 minutes, <laughs> probably less. I don't know. And that's one of the biggest problems that I wanted to, to say about this movie and its runtime and what this movie has is like this movie dwells in nothingness 
for the entire film. It's like they do nothing. They have these conversations between characters that are not progressing the story whatsoever. They're just standing around just talking about shit that's just like people hanging out at home or something and not doing anything to move the story forward. Um, the characters are just so out of place a lot of the time that the context that they put themselves in or that the writers and the directors put themselves, put the characters in, just don't make any sense. Um, there's another montage that happens towards the end of the film that makes zero sense again. <laughs> it's like, like Arthur Curry has this like jacket with like, looks like gang patches or something. And I think it's something that he got from New Zealand. Um, I recognize those, those, uh, vest jackets with the patches and stuff because I'm from New Zealand and I recognize those things very well. <laughs> I, I don't want to say it's gang patches, but it's, it's like, it's very resembling of like, you know, gang members wearing that kind of stuff. Um, like, He's he jumps on his Harley and starts doing like wheelies or not wheelies he does what do you call it donuts on the Harley. It's like what is this? <laughs> and all throughout the film, it's just littered with just things that don't even matter to the story. And the story is really just about revenge. It's really about um, surfacing um, another villain or another potential villain that just ended up getting wasted. Black Manta should have been the villain and the focus the entire time and they should have fleshed out his objectives a lot better in order to make a coherent film that is simple to follow, um, not not shrouded in a bunch of uh, inconsequential subplots and character interactions. You know, this whole movie was just like, hey, let's, let's just chill. Let's just chill in Atlantis and chill a little bit on the surface level. And um, when we get to the end, uh, yeah, that's that's how you're going to die. Um, well, that's how that character is going to die. And this is how Sauron's going to die. And that's about it. Oh, and we're going to use the blood of the sun because the sun needs something to do too, right? That's how we're going to do it. So all up, it doesn't make any sense in it. You don't, you don't need to make a film like that. And, and I do want to stress this point. Like, I don't want you to think that you know, I shat on this movie just because I shat on this movie for no reason. I think I've given some valid reasons as to why this movie isn't good. Um, and I want to stress the point that a lot of the blame is... It's hard to know where a lot of the blame is going towards. Um, I'm very tempted to say the studio, right? And maybe that is correct. Maybe the studio is, is to blame here because of all the controversies that this film has gone through and eventually leaving it to the hands... Well, not even leaving this character, I suppose, but um, having an abrupt finish to this whole franchise and this universe simply because it's been handed off to James Gunn and Peter Safran. So it's a shame. It's really a shame. And like I've repeated that so many times in this podcast and maybe in previous episodes about DC films. Um, but it's a shame that this movie had to go through what it did. And as a result, that's what happened. Um. Like, I'm a big fan of James Gunn. Oh, sorry, James Wan, you know, the director of this film. Big fan of him. I think the best movie that he's ever made to this day is The Conjuring. Um, I think he's a super talented horror director. I'm yet to see a really good film that is outside of that genre. Um, I think what he did with Aquaman, the first film in 2018, was fine. It was okay. I, I don't know if he'll be my first choice for an Aquaman film. <clears throat> give it to Zack Snyder. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just really unfortunate that this movie turned out, turned out the way it did. Uh, so, as a rating out of 10, I'm giving Aquaman <laughs> and the Lost Kingdom drumroll, no drumroll, 5 out of 10. Now, sorry, not 5 out of 10. Did I say 5 out of 10? I'm just looking at my notes here. I actually, I'm actually giving it a 4 out of 10. <laughs> um, it doesn't deserve anything more than that. It's a 4 out of 10 film, and I hate to say it, and I hate to break it to anybody, and anybody that's that even ha might have seen this film and listened to this review, um, you know, 
if you like it, then I'm interested to know what you thought about the film. You know, I'm, I'm interested to hear like uh, where I possibly spoke out of line, where you disagree on. Um, what did you think about it? Let me know in the comments. Send me a DM. Um, do all that kind of stuff. And before I finish this episode, um, I do want to talk about some upcoming reviews. Uh, we have a huge lineup. Um, pretty exciting lineup too. And we're going to have some cool guests from different parts of the world join in on the um, podcast. And um, just to mention a few, we're going to be doing Man of Steel. Zack Snyder's Justice League, The Apes Trilogy, Wonka, which we're yet to release, um, that'll be released in this week, very soon. We have Rogue One, The Game, Rebel Moon, which is also going to be released before the end of the week, The Princess Bride, Saving Private Ryan, and the MCU Phase 1. Because I did this, I started this podcast after the MCU, and if you know me, which is highly likely that you don't really know me yet, unless you've listened to a lot of the other episodes. I'm a huge MCU fan, and um, I cannot wait. You have no idea. I cannot wait to review MCU Phase 1, and I think it's going to be an exciting time to review it too, because I saw those films. Yeah, I haven't actually spoken much or reviewed those films, um, I guess like since they all came out, or years ago, I suppose, right? And, you know, now I'm um, a lot older and a bit more mature in the way I see films. And um, I'm just excited to, to dive into that. So with that being said, thank you for your time and listening to this uh, unfortunately atrocious um, negative review on and recap on Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. And until next time, bye for now.